Let's have a word of prayer together before we start. Lord, thank you for this evening. We pray that you will work in each of our hearts and our lives. I pray that you would fill me with your spirit, grant me a special anointing to be able to teach your word clearly in a way that's easily understood and applied to our life. And Lord, we want to serve you, live for you. We want to please you. And your word gives us the instructions on how to do that, how to live life uh, successfully with power, Lord, with joy. And so we ask that you would lead and guide and work tonight in each of us. Uh, we love you in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So there's uh, certain uh, sermon series or uh, sermons that I preach on particular topics that are oh, what you might call uh, peripheral. They're not what you'd talk about main. They may be interesting and fun, but not center focus. This one tonight is, uh, I'm going to talk about a topic that is very, very important for Christians to understand. It's just one of those main things uh, that a lot of people don't get, don't understand. This is super important. So you could save those notes you have and review them because this is uh, one of those key uh, doctrines, areas of theology that are very essential for living the Christian life with power, success. Now, I've preached on it before. You'll recognize much of it. But I often repeat things that I feel are important because we forget it. And, uh, and so it just kind of reemphasizes it. The topic, the title of the sermon is The Fear of the Lord. And so that's a, a theme in the Bible. And it's a theme because it's important that we get it. And this passage tonight is such a great passage for looking at this theme. So let me read it. 1 Peter 3, 8 through 14. To sum up, uh, that means here's a collection of information. This is, you know, I, what I used to do with my wife? I would, uh, I'd go like this when she was talking after about 15, 20 minutes. And that meant, just give me the bottom line. This is going on too long. Now, when I went like that, uh, it usually made her feel bad, hurt her feelings. And so then she would start crying and stop talking and leave. And so it worked. Not really positively, but it worked. And so a couple of years ago, when I wrote my I love you statements to her, when I made these commitments, every time I said I love you, I'm making these commitments. One of them was, and it was the one that she just still loves, I said in my I love you statement, I will listen to you as long as you want to talk and I will honor you by paying sincere attention to your words and I will never in my life do this that meant land the plane or this which meant just give me the bottom line so I haven't done that for a number of years uh, but I still remember it and I still wish I could you know but I don't I, I nod and smile and honor her by paying sincere attention to her words sometimes when my eyes glass over she'll say I love you. Oh, yeah, yeah. What were you saying? Uh, so anyway, that's kind of what this is, the bottom line. To sum up, this is a collection of information. Uh, all of you be harmonious, sympathetic, brotherly, kind-hearted, humble in spirit, not returning evil for evil or insult for insult, but giving a blessing instead. Yeah, a lot of politicians ought to read that. 
that part about insult for insult. Uh, for you are called for this very purpose. You are called for this very purpose. That you might inherit a blessing. That you might inherit a blessing. Now God blesses. And it's very specific. And you don't get blessed by sneezing. Or whatever else would prompt someone to say, God bless you. Uh, God's blessings in the Bible are conditional in that he always attaches a blessing to a command. He says, do this and I'll bless you. Do this and I'll bless you. And we say, what are the blessings? Sometimes people will walk into the room and they'll say, oh, Pastor D, I've been blessed today. I said, really? Uh, what, do you, what do you mean? I got a raise. And I'll say, did you know that that's not included in the Bible in blessings? More money is not a blessing. I mean, we like to call it a blessing. Joy is a blessing. That's why we tend to say that's a blessing. But it's a lie right from the pit of hell that equates money with joy. The world believes it, generally speaking. God gives joy, and he gives it as a blessing, as a reward. And so it says uh, that you might inherit a blessing. That means those blessings are contingent upon that behavior that he just mentioned. For the one who desires life, to love and see good days, we could vote on that one. Do you want to see good days, happy days, fun days, joyful days, limit of fish days? Yeah, I'll take that one. Uh, The one who wants to love life and see good days must keep his tongue from evil, his lips from speaking deceit. So if you want to have a good life, then talk nice. He must turn away from evil and do good. He must seek peace and pursue it. The eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous. His eyes, God watches everything we do. His ears attend to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Who is there to harm you if you prove zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for the sake of righteousness, if you are blessed and do not fear their intimidation, do not be troubled. So that passage right there is the best description in the Bible uh, for what we would call the fear of the Lord. And so let me give you a formal definition in your notes. The fear of the Lord is knowing that God sees everything that we do, hears everything that we say, knows everything that we think, that he rewards good behavior, he disciplines wrong behavior. Just like a good dad He disciplines and he rewards. And the reason is because he wants us to behave and to grow and to become like him and to do the things that are his will. And so that motivates us. So I drive. Some of you drive. Almost all of you drive. We could compare notes on our driving. I have never gotten a ticket in my entire life at 75 years of age. Now, that doesn't mean I've always followed the, the the. the laws, it just means that I keep one eye on the rearview mirror. <laughs> and I sort of have discovered where policemen hang out and, you know, how fast you can go and various things. But never, never, ever gotten a ticket. I got a stop one time for having a taillight out or a headlight, I forget. But I never in my life have gotten a ticket. So what would I get a ticket for? Breaking a law. Drive 50 miles an hour through Jefferson, when that yellow light is blinking that you have to go 20, uh, 
you're probably going to get stopped and get a ticket. And you're not going to be able to say, "Uh, mm, I wasn't paying attention. Please forgive me. You're going to get a ticket. Why? You broke the law. You watch football? Referees out there throwing yellow flags because somebody broke a rule. And because they broke a rule, now they have a a five-yard penalty or whatever penalty goes with it. And basketball, um, Jerry coaches or referees basketball, and he has a whistle. And somebody commits a foul or steps out of bound, breaks a rule, he blows a whistle, and there's a consequence for the rule. That's basic life. That's basic life. So if we could, uh, all of us have an experience of driving in Sierra Leone, West Africa. Most of us would only drive for about a minute and we would quit because it is absolutely, there's no rules. You can do anything you want. Do you know how they drive? They just honk all the time. Anybody, it reminds me of roller skating. You know, when you roller skate, the only ones you have to really worry about are the ones in front of you. The ones behind, they're responsible not to run over you, but you're watching, and you're just weaving and out, keeping track of where people are. Occasionally you'll yell. That's the way it is driving in West Africa. No rules. And because there are no rules, there's a lot of wrecks. And uh, you know what you do if you wreck in West Africa? You park your car and you leave it, and it stays there forever. Uh, Not worth fixing most of the time. So... No rules. How would you like to live life? Sometimes it seemed like we are now, right now. But uh, driving rules, basketball rules, football rules, you know, general guidelines makes life enjoyable. So where do we get that? From God. The Bible tells us how to live. The fear of the Lord is understanding that when you drive over the speed limit, you're going to get a ticket. When you commit a foul, you're going to get uh, a yellow flag. God operates that way. And, uh, but, and he's consistent in doing it. Number two, God blesses those who have a healthy fear of the Lord. God blesses those who have a healthy fear of the Lord. That is, you operate your life on the basis of God's rules. You operate your life on the basis of the fact that you believe that he sees what you do, he hears what you say, he knows what you think. And you govern and you control your behavior accordingly. Psalms twenty-five, twelve: Who is the man who fears the Lord? He, God, will instruct him in the way he should choose. His soul will abide in prosperity. His soul will abide in prosperity. That means you're healthy on the inside. And his descendants, that's my kids and my grandkids, I've got 28 grandchildren will inherit the land. That means they'll, they'll do well in life. The secret of the Lord is for those who fear him, and he will make them know his covenant. Secret of the Lord. So if you fear the Lord, you know some stuff that other people don't know. You could say to them, Ha, I know God's secret. Too bad about you. Psalms 111.10, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Proverbs 1, 7, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Psalms 34, 7, the angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and rescues them. Somebody was telling me today, uh, let's see, it was James Farmer. He was not really thinking, and he got out of his car while it was still in reverse, uh, forgetting that it wasn't in park, 
and then uh, when he stepped out of the pickup, it started going backwards in reverse. And uh, James is kind of like me. He's not real nimble on his feet. And so the possibility of having the door knock him down and getting run over was pretty high. But he managed to get back up in the pickup and nothing went wrong. And he says, it was a miracle, really. I said, do you know what that was? That was the angel of God encamped around you. Yeah. So God's angels camp around. Not everybody. Only those who fear him. <clears throat> Psalms 34, 9. Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints, for to those who fear him there is no want. That's a cool one. Psalms 112, verse 1. Praise the Lord. How blessed is the man who fears the Lord, who greatly delights in his commandments. His descendants will be mighty on earth. The generation of the upright will be blessed. Psalms 128, 1. How blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in his ways. When you shall eat of the fruit of your hands, you will be happy. It will be well with you. Your wife shall be like a fruitful vine within your house. That means she's going to have eight kids. <laughs> Some of you are thinking, man, I'm glad I didn't fear the Lord. <laughs> Your children like olive plants around your table. Behold, for thus shall be the man blessed who fears the Lord. Psalms 147, 11. The Lord favors those who fear him. Now you thought I was joking when I said God has favorites. See, it says right there, the Lord favors those who fear him. So my t-shirt is accurate. God loves everybody. I'm his favorite. Psalms 115, 13. He will bless those who fear the Lord, the small together with the great. May the Lord give you increase, you and your children. May you be blessed of the Lord, maker of heaven and earth. Psalms 103, 17. But the loving kindness of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him and his righteousness to children's children. So let's go through the in details, the definition. Number three, God knows in detail everything we do, say, or think. God knows in detail Everything we say, everything we do, everything we think. Now, the problem is that we forget that because we can't see God. If we could see him, the reality of living our life, recognizing that he sees us all the time, would put a major, major uh, buffer into our life, as it were. Sort of like having a policeman behind you, you don't go fast. Because he's right there behind you. One time, I think I told you this story before, but it's a cool one anyway. My son Sam, he's 40 now, but back when he was about 10, uh, our old sanctuary there, when we only had that one, didn't have any of these other buildings, we had a folding doors through the whole back part of it so we could fold them up and have a place for potlucks and stuff, and we could fold them up and have rooms. We built them ourselves, and they had about a quarter-inch gap between each of the, where the hinges were. I walked down the hall, and I could hear him inside this room being bad. I could tell right off. And so I peeked through the crack and watched him for a few minutes. Sure enough, he wasn't being good. I stepped into the classroom, sat down in the back of the class. He saw me, and his behavior changed instantly. We got home, and I said, you remember when I stepped into your class? He said, yes. I said, I was looking through the crack in the, door, in the wall there for 10 minutes and watched you be very, very bad. Now, if you do that again, I think I said he was going to dig a ditch for the next 10 days. I don't remember what I said. I'm going to stop by that wall every time I walk by it and check and see how you're doing. I asked his teacher, how's my son doing? She said, he's doing great. But he's got this tick. 
I said, what do you mean? He keeps looking at the wall. <laughs> what do you call that? Fear of dead. It's healthy. It's good. That's the fear of God. And so knowing that he sees everything we do, he hears everything we say, he knows everything we think all the time. Psalms 139, 1 through 4. O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down, when I rise up. You, you understand my thought from afar. You scrutinize my path, my lying down. You are intimately acquainted with all my ways. Even before there's a word on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all. Now that's a great passage to memorize and to go over and over and over. He scrutinizes my path. Even before I speak it, he knows it. Number four, God disciplines wrong behavior. So we did that with our kids. And we tried to be creative. And often it was loss of reward or privilege. When they were younger, we would have work days. And so on the work days, there was the good jobs and there was the nasty jobs. And so I would assign the jobs based on the previous week's um, behavior, and they knew it. Oh man, I don't want to do that job. So, okay, you were you get the nasty job. Then when we got done, we went to King Ho- King Cone. That was always the big reward on Monday afternoon after we finished our family work day, and we'd get to King Cone, and then I would say to Sam, Sam, I'm, you're not going to get an ice cream cone today. I'm not. Why? Well, because you totally goofed off. You didn't do anything. So next week, when we work, you remember that, work hard, and then you get a big ice cream cone. He wasn't real happy with that. But next week when we worked, he worked double speed because he got a reward. He didn't get one the week before. And so dad, mom, were motivating, correcting, training. And so we use reward, loss of reward, discipline, in order to do that. Hebrews 12:5, and you have forgotten the exhortation which is addressed to you as sons. That is, we are children of God. We've trusted Jesus Christ as our personal Savior. We've been forgiven of all our sins, adopted into the family of God. We're headed for heaven. Now God's making us, causing us to grow, to be like him in character. You've forgotten the exhortation which is addressed to you as sons. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor faint when you are reproved by him. Those whom the Lord loves, he disciplines. He scourges every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you endure. God deals with you as with sons. What son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are without discipline, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate children. I have never disciplined anybody else's kids. I scowl at them sometimes, but I don't do anything else. They're not mine. I only disciplined mine. I don't even discipline my grandchildren. I just spoil the heck out of them. Let the mom and dad discipline them. I'm done with the discipline stuff because my kids are all grown. Um, so you don't get disciplined, then you're not one of God's children. It is for discipline that you endure. God deals with you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? But if you are without discipline, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate children, not sons. Furthermore, we had earthly fathers to discipline us. We respected them. Shall we not much rather be subject to the Father of spirits and live? They disciplined us for a short time as seemed best to them. He disciplines us for our good so that we may share his holiness. 
that, he, that we may share his holiness. That's what God is about, making us like him. All discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful but sorrowful, yet to those who have been trained by it, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. God trains us to be holy and righteous like himself. Deuteronomy 8, 5. Thus you are to know in your heart that the Lord your God was disciplining you just as a man disciplines his son. Psalms 89, 30. If his sons forsake my law and do not walk in my judgments, if they violate my statutes and do not keep my commandments, then I will punish their transgression with the rod, their iniquity with stripes, but I will not break off my loving kindness from him. Second Samuel seven fourteen. I will be a father to him. He will be a son to me. When he commits iniquity, I will correct him with the rod of men and the strokes of the sons of men. Number five, God, God's discipline of our wrong behavior is consistent and just. You know what will irritate football fans that watch the Super Bowl on television is if it appears like the referee is favoring one team over the other. I mean, it just everybody gets all excited. If you get done watching an NBA or a college game and you look and you see one team had 30 fouls called on, the other team only had 10, what's the deal here? We would like things to be somewhat equitable and fair, and God is perfect in that regards. Hebrews 2, 2, for if the word spoken through angels proved unalterable and every transgression and disobedience received a just penalty, every transgression and disobedience received a just penalty. Galatians 6, 7, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, this is what he will reap. So we did lessons with our kids to teach them this principle. I think I've told you this before. We'd plant the garden in the spring. I'd pour some radish seeds in my hand. I'd say, see that? Those are corn seeds. And the kids say, no, Dad, those are radish seeds. Really? What if I plant it and a corn plant comes up? Dad, that's a radish seed. Radishes come up from radishes. Every time. Every time. So our words that we speak out of our mouth... Our actions of our life are like planting seeds. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever you sow is what you will reap. God is a consistent God. Things are always the same in the sense of reward and consequence in our life. Number six, there are other reasons besides God's discipline for our sin that bad things happen to us. Now, this is a very, very important thing to get, understand. I've got Parkinson's. What sin did I commit? To deserve that. Probably not related to any sin I've committed. So why would I have it? Well, because God brings difficult trials into our life to cause us to grow. It's sort of like adding weights on a barbell. He's making us stronger. And so he knows what will do that? And so he will, in his wisdom and in his love, bring difficult situations in our life for the purpose of making us stronger. Nothing to do with the sin that we've committed. Just things that he does. Um, I uh, am pastoring now. I have been pastoring for 45 years. The dream of my life was to be a, the world's greatest dairy farmer. Why am I not farming? Because God killed my cows. Didn't kill them all. Just enough so I couldn't make a living. Now if he hadn't, I'd still be farming. So 
one of the reasons that things happen that we don't like is because he's steering us into his perfect will for our life. We don't get it sometimes. It reminds me, you know, have you ever been to the uh, fair when the 4-H kids are showing their pigs? They got this stick. They whack them on this side of the head, and they whack them on that side of the head, and they steer the pig around, and they show them. That's me. I'm a pig. God's steering me. Killed my cows, did this, did that. And I end up where I am today in the will of God because he steered me into his will with trials. Number seven, bad things happen that are caused by God so that he can do a miracle. So he's sort of setting the table, as it were. He's going to bring some bad thing into your life, and then he's going to fix it. And in the process, he is glorified by the miracle he does in your life. Now, we don't know what that's, uh, who that's going to be, but periodically that's the case. In John chapter 9, the disciples ask him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he, was, that he would be born blind? Jesus answered, it was neither this man nor his parents, but it was so that the, the works of God might be displayed in him, and Jesus restored his sight, did a miracle. Well, God knew that was going to happen, so that's why that happened, took place. I was hoping that was the case with my Parkinson's. Ah, God's doing this so that he can heal me. Well, if he's going to heal me, he's going to have to hurry up because I'm getting close to dead. Um, but it's been a good thing for me. I've exercised more with Parkinson's than I ever have in my life. I've memorized more Bible verses because of Parkinson's than I ever have in my life. I mean, so many good things have happened because of it. Uh, God used it to develop in me character. Number eight, God causes trials to come into our life to stimulate character growth in our lives. I mentioned that one. <clears throat> wants us to grow. James 1, 2, Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials. Be happy, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. Let endurance have its perfect results so that you may be perfect and complete. That means you're grown up in character, lacking in nothing. But if any of you lacks wisdom... Now, you see that little promise right there? It's kind of strange. He's talking about trials, and then he says, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God. Now, that's not a general kind of wisdom. It's a specific wisdom that has to do with, Why am I going through this trial? I don't understand. Well, if you don't, ask God. Ask God. He doesn't want you going through a trial not knowing why. And so if it's because of a sin in your life, he wants you to know. And if you have a problem, a trial come into your life, and you're not exactly sure, ask him. And you'll be able to understand it. I mean, I knew not too long after my cows died why that happened because I said Lord why would you do this I mean didn't you know I wanted to be the world's greatest dairy farmer how can I do it when you kill my cows oh that was when I got the call that says you want to come be the pastor at Jefferson Baptist Church I mean if he hadn't killed the cows I'd have said you got to be kidding me who would do that nobody in their right mind but because he killed my cows I said well all right so you figure it out. You understand. God loves me. He loves you. And he knows exactly what he's doing. And he's always working for our good. Romans eight twenty eight. We know, we know 
We know that God causes all things to work together for good. God is the one who does it. It's not an accident. It's not the devil. God causes all things to work together for good. Good doesn't mean comfortable. Good means character. Good means God's will. To those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. Number nine, it's important that we don't try and decide why someone else is going through tough times. Job's friends tried that. didn't end well for them. So I see Tracy Rowe going through a trial. Like, oh, man, I bet he committed some awful sin. That guy, I better help him out, see if I can give him a little counsel. Sometimes people will ask me. They'll come and say, Pastor D, I'm going through this. Why? I said, I don't know. I don't have a clue. I am not going to tell you why you are going through a trial. That's between you and God. If you ask for wisdom, you'll figure it out. You'll figure it out. God wants you to know why you're going through trials, but he's not going to tell me. Uh, And so if I try to guess, I'm being stupid. And I'll say things, do things that I ought not to say. If you read the book of Job, you'll see at the end, the friends of Job uh, didn't turn out well for them. They're the bad guys through the whole book. Number 10, there is a buffer to God's justice in in our life. It's called God's mercy. So you commit this sin. This is the result. This is the punishment that fits it, that's just. But God's mercy kicks in and you only get 10% of it. That's cool. We used to play Monopoly all the times when we were kids and uh, draw, get out of jail free card. Ah, cool. Go to jail, there's my card, I get out. That's mercy. You don't pay what you ought to pay. You don't pay the full price because you experience God's mercy. Psalms 145, 8, the Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, great in loving kindness. The Lord is good to all, and his mercies are over all his work. Number 11, God's mercy is conditional and on a sliding scale. So if you get pulled over by a cop in Sierra Leone and you want mercy, you know how you get it? Hand him a $20 bill. And you won't get a ticket. That's called bribery. Works well in Sierra Leone. You know, you want to carry some $10 bills in your pocket so you can experience mercy all day long. Um, So God's mercy is conditional as well. Twelve, God is merciful to the merciful. He is merciful to the merciful. So if you think about yourself, how merciful am I? How quick am I to forgive? How quick am I to graciously overlook what other people do and how they offend me? Now it's you're to blame. It's your fault. You're the bad person. Matthew 5, 7, Blessed are the merciful, they will receive mercy. So this in of itself is part of the fear of God in the sense that what motivates me to forgive you? 
if I don't like you. I mean, there's some people I don't like. They just, you know, they're just rude, obnoxious, don't know how to fish. Yeah, I don't particularly like them. But if they do something to violate a right or defend, I'm going to forgive them really quick. Why? Because I understand this principle. Blessed are the merciful. They will receive mercy. So sometimes I forgive because I like you. Sometimes I forgive because I have a fear of God. And I believe his rules. And one of them is he extends mercy to me when I extend mercy to you. James 2.12, so speak and so act as those who are to be judged by the law of liberty. For judgment will be merciless to the one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Matthew 7, 1, do not judge so that you will not be judged. For in the way you judge, you will be judged. By your standard of measure, it will be measured to you. That's about as black and white as you can get in the sense that this is how God operates. 13, God is merciful to the repentant. So we had eight children and we disciplined them. And I spanked all the kids, you know, mostly when they were little. But I never spanked Sally. Our youngest. And she's not spoiled. She's as good as gold. She's like an angel. You know why I never spanked her? Because I would look at her, kind of stern-like, and she would flop over on the ground and burst into tears. Now, how can you spank a girl like that? I mean, she's just, (laughs) I'm sorry, Dad. I mean, Patty says, she's just got you wrapped around her little finger. Well, you know, look at the kid. How can you spank her? She's just sort of grieving over her sin there. I mean, just a little one. Just look at her, burst into tears, flop on the ground. I think she'd still do that. She's like 35 years old. <laughs> if I looked at her stern, I'd never spanked her, not even once. Why? Because she didn't need it. She was totally repentant. And so God's not into punishment for punishment's sake. He's not into discipline, just to discipline it, he wants to change us. And so some people change easily, quickly, repent soon. So let me read again what uh, I started with. Uh, number 14. Uh, no, uh, Luke 18. I forgot where it was. Here we go. Luke 18. I think I got it right now. The tax collector standing some distance away was even unwilling to lift up his eyes to heaven. He was beating his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, the sinner. And Jesus speaking says, I tell you, this man went to his house justified because he was repentant. Revelation 3.19, those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. Therefore, be zealous and repent. Be zealous and repent. 14, God blesses or rewards good behavior. And we talked about he disciplines wrong behavior and he blesses or rewards good behavior. That's this passage we read tonight. Let me read it to you again. To sum up, let all be harmonious, sympathetic, brotherly, kind-hearted, humble in spirit, not returning evil for evil or insult for insult, but giving a blessing instead, for you are called for this very purpose, that you might inherit a blessing. That means when you do those things, God will bless you. For the one who desires life, to love and seek good days, must keep his tongue from evil, his lips from speaking deceit. He must turn away from evil, do good. He must seek peace and pursue it. The eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous. His ears attend to their prayer. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Who who is there to harm you if you prove zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for the sake of righteousness, you are blessed. Do not fear their intimidation. Do not be troubled. 
So there's seven basic or excuse me, blessings in the Bible. There's a bunch of them, but there's seven that are repeated over and over and over again. Let's review those real quick. Number 15, the major blessings of God are first one, strength. Most often given blessing in the Bible is strength. It's not the ability to lift a thousand pounds. It's the ability to manage life, to face trials, to bear up under pressure without falling apart. It's inner strength. God gives it. It's a blessing that comes from him. Samson had it, physical strength. David had it. Many of the saints had it. Uh, that strength that comes from God, he blessed them. Second blessing is joy. Everybody wants to be happy, but they find it at, or attempt to find it in all the wrong places. Um, I really think that if I could catch a limit of steelhead every day, I would be the happiest person on the world. But uh, that's a lie. Joy comes from God, only from God. God gives joy as a reward. Three, peace. No worry, no fear, no anxiety, no fretting. God gives it. Philippians says that it's a peace that passes all comprehension. It'll guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. A fourth blessing is um, we get something to do, an assignment from God that matters. I tell people, I played basketball in college. You did? Yep. But I never got in a game. What do you mean? You played basketball and you never got in a game? No, I sat on the bench. Why? Because I wasn't good enough to be in a game. I loved practicing, but I never get, got good enough in practice to ever get in a game. I hated sitting on the bench. I used to think bad thoughts about my coach. You know, I figured he was... His IQ was suffering. His eyes were bad. He had all kinds of problems that I was imagining because I didn't get in the game. God puts you in the game, gives you something to do that matters. It's important only as a blessing. You don't decide to do something great for God. He decides. Five healthy relationships. Healthy relationships. Proverbs says, if your ways are pleasing to the Lord, he makes even your enemies to be at peace with you. He, God, makes your enemies to be at peace with you. Why? Because your ways please him. I mean, it'll come to bear in your marriage, with your kids, your work situation. God gets involved in relationships when our ways please him. <clears throat> Number six, we have greater and greater influence with God when we pray. Did you know there's some Christians when they pray, God doesn't listen? In fact, the Bible says that their prayer is an abomination to him. He not only doesn't answer, he doesn't even listen. But when he blesses you, one of the major blessings is that he listens to you and he acts and responds to your prayers. That's a great blessing. And seven good days, greatly reduce trials. I like that one. Those are blessings that God brings into our life as rewards for following him and obeying him. And the purpose is to motivate us to grow, to be holy, and not live like the world. You have to remind yourself, God sees what I do, hears what I say, knows what I think, always. I'm always working on my thinking. And you think, why? You don't know what I'm thinking. I can look at you and smile and laugh at your jokes and be thinking that you are as ugly as a fence post. 
I can be thinking some really rude things about you and you wouldn't have a clue. So why control them? Well, because God knows. God blesses. God withholds blessing. And I like his blessings. I like his strength. I like his joy. I like his peace. What I really like is him giving me something to do that matters. And he knows what I'm thinking. And he will give and withhold on the basis of how I follow his rules, his principles in life. So this is a key, key theology that the average individual doesn't get. They think life is just accidental. They think that it's caused by President Biden. Yeah, whatever. It's God who is in charge of my life. And he blesses and he disciplines. And it isn't anybody's fault but mine. He rewards and he brings punishment, discipline into my life depending on how I live so that I will grow and become like him. Sometimes the things that happen are for no reason other than God knows in his wisdom what I need to grow. Sometimes it's temporary. Sometimes he's steering me. And sometimes it's because I just blew it. And he wants me to make sure I get that and understand it and change. If you lack wisdom, ask. God will give to you generously and without reproach. You'll know. He wants you to know. But don't judge anybody else. Take care of you and pursue holiness and God will give you everything you need to do that to live successfully he granted us his power his strength Uh, he wants us to be like him and he gives us everything that we need but he doesn't choose he doesn't choose we choose and as we choose and act and obey we receive his strength his joy his peace we get something to do that matters Relationships grow and are healthy, and life just becomes good. I like that. It motivates me in what I do and how I talk and how I think. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. I pray that each of us would understand that you are God. You are in control. You created us. You created us with a purpose. That is that we would live with you in heaven forever with a glorified body, and you want us to be like you in character so that we can enjoy you, you can enjoy us. And you will raise us, train us like a good father. I pray that we would understand that and we wouldn't fuss and whine and complain about things that happen knowing that you are only bringing what is important and needed in us, each of us, to make us like yourselves. You'll give us the power and the strength to manage it if we trust you and follow you and obey you. Help us to do that. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.